Good Friday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com mailbag podcast brought to you by our friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Check them out at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com or on Twitter at blueh2o underscore climate with Jesse Simonton, Austin Price, and Rob Lewis. Brent Hubs, glad to have you along with us as we jump into your questions. Um, no surprise here, a good number of recruiting questions. So we'll start with Navy Guy 44. Austin, getting those names in for you to make you happy. So we'll start with you on this one. Um, is Tennessee going hard after Prince Colley, or is he Munden's backup plan? UGA claims to be sitting pretty with Munden after losing uh, Barrett Carter. Give us the situation, you guys, all, anybody jump in here, where you think they are with, um, A, the priority for Prince Colley, and, two, uh, where are they with, with Smile Munden right now? Well, as far as Prince Colley, I think that, uh, again, he's a he's a product as, as far as Tennessee's concerned of not having camp you know um, had he been able to come and work out for uh, Tennessee's coaches you know he may be higher on the board you know than than what he is uh, they're still evaluating him obviously they've offered him um, you know but I, I do think that Tennessee um, sees him down the list a bit that doesn't mean that he doesn't end up here um, but I, I don't think that there's any kind of push to to get him in the boat right now and with Munden, you still th- you think Georgia's in the cat in the catbird seat? Everybody's chasing. Yeah, I think Georgia? Georgia's Georgia's definitely the team to beat. I know there's some quiet confidence from Auburn, um, but I mean, isn't Auburn always confident in every kid they're going to? And sometimes they get those kids, but sometimes they don't. So, um, yeah, I, I think oh, it's a three team race. Will, though, baby. It's, it's he will. He will. He will, baby. He'll wrap. He will. He he'll commit. Um, I think probably sometime into June, um, in my opinion. Um, and I, like I said, I think Georgia's the favorite. I do think it's a three-team race, much like it has been for several weeks between Auburn, Tennessee, and Georgia. Don't you think this is just a case, Austin, where Georgia made him – like Tennessee was quietly in the weeds going, going along well there, and then Georgia realized they might be in a little bit of trouble with that one, and they really ramped up their efforts with him and, and – and got his attention that way. Not that he was at, Georgia was ever out of it, but I think there was a time where he maybe didn't feel like he was Georgia's as big of a priority for Georgia as he was for Tennessee. And I think Georgia changed that over the last month, six weeks. Well, I think more than anything, I think Kirby Smart knows he has to land Smile Munden. I think it's a he's an important recruit, much like Amarius Mims is an important recruit for Georgia. So, um, yeah, I think they turned up the efforts. Um, you know, uh, not to say that they were ever slow playing him or, or recruiting him slowly. I don't think that was the case. I just think maybe Tennessee at, at one point was the hungrier team as far as recruiting him. Um, but, yeah, Georgia, um, you know, that they've always been there and, and, and no, no surprise there. All right, let's go to Voluptuous Booms, who's got a question to, to guys. Um, with Naquan Brown committing on July 1st, so they've all still pursuing him. If so, what are their chances there? I know he had Tennessee in his kind of final six. Tennessee, to me, Jesse, looks like they're down the list with, with this one here. And I don't know where he's been priority-wise for Tennessee. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing, right, AP? You know, I think he's just down the board. And so, uh, yes, it's a big – it's a blue chipper. It's a big name. But he, he's not a guy that um, – even at a position that obviously Tennessee wants to continue to load up on some of those pass rushers. Um, not sure he kind of fits, uh, you know, I think they have some other guys, frankly, that they, they like a little bit better. Oh yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, when 
again, it's not a matter of, you know, it's not a matter of, you know, want here more so than it is just a matter of kind of two ships going in two different directions. Tennessee has other priorities. And I think he's down Tennessee's border or there, or Tennessee's down his board a little bit. So, you know, it, that one just doesn't feel like Tennessee's got much traction there. Um, but it never has, to be honest. Yeah. All right. Let's go to good guy GBO. When should Rob, when should Tennessee know for sure an answer on Cade Mays? I know everybody said he's going to be good, but until it's official, I'm still nervous. Any, any thoughts on the NCAA's timetable on anything at this point in time? No, I'm, I, I, I know some people that are, you know, close to the family as Austin for sure does. And I mean, I don't, August, I mean, I don't think there's any, you know, firm deadline. I mean, it could trickle, something could trickle out at any time, but I think August is when you're looking at, and I know we've talked about it before and Jesse has certainly said it. I, I think the track record of guys, when, when your family has the means to hire a lawyer, it's pretty strong. And that's, you know, that, that that's kind of what I fall back on and also double up and say, it's pretty easy to make the argument in the current climate that, you know, with the with COVID and everything, whether it's true or not, moving back home is an argument that I think, you know, has some legs and is, is tough to argue with. But my biggest thing is if, if you have an attorney, I don't think the NCAA wants any part of that. Well, I, I agree. And, 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 you know, let's face it, Tennessee had never even appealed Cade Mays until – um, and to be honest, I don't know if they have it to this point. I know that once they, they, they tabled the transfer rule and, and, you know, as far as being a one-time transfer, at that point Tennessee ramped up their efforts. They already had stuff compiled and all that stuff, but I don't think they felt the need to do that if they were going to pass that new rule because that's a lot of work on somebody to, to present that case. So I think that Tennessee has now ramped up their efforts and, you know, the appeal – uh, if it hasn't been sent in, will be sent in in short order. But again, last year Tennessee didn't send in the appeal. Everybody kept wondering, where is the where's the ruling on Aubrey Solomon? Tennessee didn't send that appeal in for the longest time. So, like you know, I, I think it's much the same thing here um, with Cade Mays. But I do think we'll see a ruling sometime before Aubrey Solomon's ruling, which was what second week of August last year. You know, third week of August. Yeah, so was, I think we'll I think we'll see in, something in before the camp. Then. It was well in the camp. Yeah, and I I still wonder if the NCAA is just not going to be able to process all these anyway. And so, if the guys who are moving closer to home, who've already transferred to another school, doesn't get somewhat rubber stamped, if you will, and, and moved on rather quickly in in this whole situation, it would seem to me like that's very likely or, or much more likely than in years past because the back the backlog for the NCAA right now ha- has to be through the roof. Um, the Dumas Johnson kid, uh, Austin, he's doing something in July. Tennessee, um, no, no, not, not a factor. I don't see that as a, a – I don't see that either. All right, who's the best quarterback in the class of 2022? Well, I mean, I'm going to go with Ty Simpson. You know, I mean, having watched the kids the throw last summer, I I think he's the number one quarterback on Tennessee's board. And so, in my mind, that's all that matters. You know, I mean, you know, we cover Tennessee. Tennessee's got their board, and, and he's at the top of it. So, um, you know, I, I'll go Ty Simpson. Um, any of the other quarterbacks just don't pertain to me. So, I don't I mean, some kid goes to Southern Cal or Penn State, I just don't care. Um, so, uh, you know, I – I would go Ty Simpson having, having had many conversations with the kid. He's super articulate, super smart, understands the game. He's a typical coach's kid, just kind of a, a you know, a loves football. And again, super talented. 
there's a bunch of really good quarterbacks in the South in that next class too. I mean, Ty's one of them. There's a kid in, in Louisiana that's really good. Um, what's the one kid's name uh, that has the – oh, Gunnar Stockton is a guy. Um, great QB name. Yeah, that's a great – it's a fantastic name. MJ, MJ Morris. So Worked uh, out well for Gunnar Keel. Let's go ahead. Wow. Um, I, I will say – I'll say this. 22 and 23 are shaping up to be really good years for quarterbacks when, when you start to look at some of the stuff that's out there, it, it, particularly in the South. You've got Ty Simpson. Uh, I think the kid at NBA has got a chance to be a really good player who, who's going to be – Don't forget about Arch Manning, Hubs. Ar- yeah, you got Arch Manning, who everybody's going to talk about. But I think 22 and 23 in the South are better than it's been the last couple of years in the South in, in terms of quarterbacks out there. All right, Vol I Am wants to know, would you expect all three walk-ons who were put on scholarship last year to be back off scholarship next year as Tennessee works to the 85? Makes logical yes. sense. I mean, I, I think that's a pretty simple answer to, to that one. I, I think to get to that 85 number, Tennessee has to – they're going to have to do that with those walk-on so, kids. So let's break it down. There are five kids that were walk-ons that Tennessee had added to the scholarships last fall. Those are one-year agreements. So Tennessee can pull those kids back off at any time. Tennessee's going to pull those kids back off. The number was 92, but really 93 because we're going to count Jeremy Banks. So the number was 93 minus the five that takes you to 88, which means you got to lose three. So who are those three? You know, I mean, again, I think that somebody in that running back room, maybe multiple people in that running back room could come off the board. Um, you know, especially with Tim Jordan, uh, you know, kind of opening that door for Jeremy Pruitt to make things uh, – make that decision a little bit easier. So, um, you know, yeah, all those kids that kind of were put on, they're coming back off to get to that 85. All right, let's um, look here at eight always 24. Anything new on MIMS? And is it possible Tennessee tries to squeeze in 26, 27 commitments, meaning obviously at that point you would be blue shirting some people? Um, I, I think, Jesse, we've talked about this. Before we get to MIMS, we've talked about this. That one-time transfer rule, if it goes into effect in January, how do coaches manage numbers? Uh, Rob, we've talked about this as well. Do you go 23, 24 and hold a spot? Does blue shirting become less likely moving forward with the one-time transfer rule in place? I think it does because I think a coach is going to always want a scholarship or two in his hip pocket available for a transfer, but we'll see how coaches elect to play that out. Yeah, and, and the other dynamic is just, and again, we're, we're repeating ourselves some in, in uh, prior statements, but do they decide, does the NCAA decide to table the 85 hard cap number? Uh, you know, do they move that number, or do they move the 25 number each cycle, keep the 85, but say, hey, you can sign 30-something kids, or you can have, you know, it's just how do you get to 85? I, I think that's going to play a big role um, in what coaches decide to do. As for this class, I think Tennessee's looking at it as, you know, they're going to evaluate what the market kind of looks like transfer-wise, you know, in, in January, February. But they're going to take as many good players as they think they, they can add. And, and so that, that seems to be kind of the philosophy right now. At Darius Mims, Tennessee, you know, there was talk, Austin, at one point, maybe they had climbed up in that a little bit and then you know there's a little less talk about that now um I I know Will Coxon and some of those guys have been talking to him that doesn't seem to be as prevalent as it was 
in the middle of all the, the quarantine with COVID and everything else. Is, is Tennessee – how on the radar is Tennessee with the Darius Mims? I mean, I think Tennessee is very much on the radar. But, I mean, so are Alabama, so is Georgia. Um, you know, to me, if I was handicapping it, Georgia and Alabama would be the top two. I think Tennessee would be in that, you know, in that next group of teams at maybe the three, four spot, um, you know. But he's not doing anything until the fall. So, like, again, there's no super rush on that one. You know, you just got to keep recruiting him and uh, kind of see where things fall. All right, let's go to Dirty Birds 14. Based on his avatar, he's the biggest, <laughs> he's the biggest fan of teams in the state of Georgia ever. His avatar is a Hawks logo, a Falcons logo, and a Braves logo in the state of Georgia. So, um, Dirty Birds is obviously a – Jesse's fan. burner account. He's stuck down in the state of Georgia. All right, Rob, this one's going to you. If we can get through fall camp healthy. No, you, he already said we, so it must not be me. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if, if we can expect to get through fall camp healthy, do you expect any upperclassmen, uh, offensive linemen, or defensive linemen to explore a redshirt season? Uh, would be nice to have a guy like Lockler ready to slide into a starting spot in 2021. Do you think Tennessee explores redshirting one of those guys, or do you think that it's moving on and continue to recruit past them and their recruiting classes. I definitely see it on offense more than defense. I mean, defense, you can play so many guys. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see it on that side of the ball. Offensively, I think there are, you know, a couple of options. And I think it's, it's so much easier to do now with the, you know, you can play in four games and still redshirt rule. And I don't think it will be obvious when they leave fall camp because of, you know, you, you can play in four games and, and, and still redshirt. So I think it's a real possibility, but I don't think it's – I don't, I don't think you'll know until November, and it will depend on injuries. Yeah, and I think it depends a lot on what Kate, what happens with Cade. If Cade wins his appeal, then totally. I think it becomes way more realistic that either Riley Locklear or Jerome Carvin uh, could be candidates to play for and be done and, and, and save time. I mean, you think about a guy like Carvin, he could end up being a starter by winning the job but he could also be the kind of that odd man out where you don't really want to waste a full year for a handful of snaps. Yep, and that's where the, the beauty of the four-game rule can come into play in a positive fashion uh, for, for, for schools around the country and certainly Tennessee in this case. Yeah, uh, I mean, Carver I mean, is a good, good player. We, we just rewatched the Vanderbilt game, and he played a ton. And Tennessee ran for 300 yards, but – He's not beating out Trey Smith or Kane Mays. Right, and, and he might be the center. I mean, you, you know, you could look at it potentially as playing four games this year, get him some work at center, and he might be Brandon Kennedy's replacement at center in, in 2021 uh, is a possibility there. But, you know, you get an ankle sprain or somewhere along the way, you know, then, then you might be in a situation where you can't, you know, redshirt those guys. So I, I think the four-game rule gives them some flexibility and we'll see how they elect to play that. But Austin's right. I think it's going to be November before you have an idea on that. All right, let's go to six large ones. Is uh, I'm assuming this is Trevally Price more likely to do something in the summer or fall? And is Tennessee in a good, as good of a position as anyone else in McGee's top five? Well, Trevally Price, I think he would do something August at the absolute earliest. Um, but again, you got to remember he's got a brother. Jaden Tate is his name. And uh, we had this in the war room last night. They're coming over here this weekend, much like Cayman Marley. Now, let me go ahead and preface this, and I'll and I'll put this in the war room. This is not Cayman Marley, where we're where we're taping videos 
I won't even say Trevally Price while he's here. Um, but, you know, they're coming over. They're going to just kind of, you know, Tennessee will drop a pin. They'll go to a location. They'll FaceTime. Story written. You know. Story written. No, there are no stories <laughs> written. But you got the, bro- you, you got, you got the brother, Over under 2.5. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, <laughs> go ahead. I'm, um, I broke your train you, got, you got the brother. You got the brother who's going to be a factor in this as well. NC State's telling him he could be a scholarship guy. No one else is telling him that. So, you know, you know, the, the key the way to look at this, though, is, you know, if Dave Dorn is out at the end of the year, whoever comes in there doesn't have to keep those kids that are on scholarship. They can move them on. That's what Mac Brown did at North Carolina. That's what several schools have done over the last few years. So, you know, just because, you know, Dave Dorn's buyout's pretty significant, though, man. You, you, this is the second time you mentioned he may be getting fired next well, season. But, but, here's the thing, but it may not be just him getting fired. He, has fired. Looked he could around, end up moving on. He's looked around at other jobs if they have some success, um, which, which could be interesting there. Obviously, that's I'm sure Tennessee's throwing that at the kid as well. Uh, but that'll be an interesting decision that the prices have to make. Point is, I think, I think if, you're, if Travali was picking solely, it would be Tennessee over NC State, but it with the brother involved, I think it it murkies the water a little bit, and right. so um, that's kind of where I'm at with that. As far as Demarius McGee, uh, Derek Ansley's done a really good job there. Um, you know, I, I think Tennessee is, it, uh, you know, I don't want to call them the leader, but I think they have as good a shot as anybody. And I think he's a good football player. I think that's a guy whose evaluation is going to change moving forward. Um, with rivals once once he gets seen by, by you know by people and, and things this fall. I, I think that's with, a guy that, that we have underrated at this point in time. With 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 price, how much is Tennessee having to combat the fact AP, because you know I, I, I haven't talked to Travali. How much are they having to combat the fact though with NC State that even with state struggles as a team they continue to load up and produce defensive linemen. Now, I know he's outside linebacker hybrid, but he's going to play with his hand in the ground a little bit. We know that they signed a couple of guys just two cycles ago that Tennessee wanted several of those guys. You know, C.J. Clark, Josh Harris, the Savion kid. Um, so I'm just, just kind of curious about, you know, how much Tennessee's having to kind of combat that. That, yeah, Jeremy has his track record elsewhere, but just, it hasn't happened yet at Tennessee in terms of producing defensive talent. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that uh, NC State's going to use to their advantage, Jesse. I mean, that that's what they're going to be pitching, you know. Not to mention the 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 added, you know, benefit of of something with your with his brother. But you know, I think right. that you know, being able to say, "Hey, look, look at this track record in the NFL draft the last few years," you know, that 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 speaks volumes, and that and that can weigh on a kid when it, you're you're talking about, you know, driving three hours and twenty three minutes to Knoxville from Lincolnton, or you know, driving two over to Raleigh. Yeah, well, now Tennessee's come back to that a little bit and say, look what we did with Daryl Taylor in a year and a half. You know, two years, look what we took Daryl Taylor to as a second-round draft pick, you know, and and he played part of the year hurt, you know, but here's the guy, you know, we didn't have him for four years to develop him. So there's all kinds of plays there. But certainly NC has had defensive success in the NFL draft. That's the reason why they continue to recruit as well as they have and the defensive front uh, over the last few years. All right, Volunteer to 87 wants to know, top three redshirt candidates that were four stars in 2020. I, I, don't, I don't even remember who all the four stars were in 2020. I, I think when you look at redshirts in, in the 2020 class, 
I think Austin, Jesse, Rob, anybody wants to jump in here. Some of those young offensive linemen, you know, are going to redshirt in this class because it makes the most sense. Well, I mean, some Cooper the- makes the most yeah. sense because, I mean, you know, you can play four games, still redshirt. You know, you got Brandon Kennedy in front of him. You got other guys that have played center. You mentioned Jerome Carvin just a little bit ago. So, I mean, you know, uh, he, he makes a ton of sense as a four-star. But, I mean, I think they're still going to rely on I, a lot of those freshmen, uh, I, wide I, receivers, I, Tyler Barron. Those guys are going to play. I just pulled it up, though. Dominic Bailey's probably going to redshirt. Okay. I mean, yeah, how, yeah. Think, I mean, you I, think you think Bailey's going to crack the rotation in a defensive line? Probably not. So. Probably not. Uh, I I I think that, and again, some of these ratings we can quibble with them. You know, whether we think they're up or down. French is French. I don't think both French and McDonald play more than four games. One of them will, but I don't think both of them will. Somebody uh, to me, McDonald makes the most sense because I think he can be more of a factor on special teams. Agreed, agreed. Um, we've discussed the safety spot. I'm just kind of tossing out candidates here. We've discussed the safety spot. Does Danico Slaughter crack the rotation, or is he a guy that just plays just a bit? You know, gets 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 his feet wet and just you know two or three times, and then he redshirts. So those would be kind of some some of the candidates in terms of looking at the list here. Who are ranked four stars by rivals? And, All right, and volunteer eighty seven, I believe, lives in Greenville. He just needs to focus on his Green Devils finding a high school football coach. All right, let's go to our burger here, Hallmark Rob Hallmark of Fulmer Chavis teams was churning out uh, great speedy linebackers. Is Tennessee getting back to that? With the discussion of the success of Henry T. His freshman year under Pruitt and Ansley, do you see linebacker recruiting picking up? Is this class starting to get the talent at the linebacker position? that former great Tennessee defense has had at the second level. I think what's interesting about that is for, for John Chavis, many of those guys that he recruited that were, quote, great linebackers, and they were really great linebackers, weren't high school linebackers. They were running backs and safeties. Yep. When you talk, I mean, Al Wilson was a safety. Um, I mean, Dominique Stevenson, I remember came, thought, thought he was going to be a running back. Was, it, was he in the same class with Jamal? Yes, he yes. was. He was. <laughs> Uh, you know, Westmoreland was a great high school running back. I mean, Eddie Moore was a great high school running back. I think Jeremy likes – I mean, part of it's the 3-4, but I think Jeremy likes bit, way bigger guys than Chavis. I mean, it's, it's kind of what jumps out at me. But I will say this. In this class, Jeremy Pruitt's taking a little bit of a smaller linebacker. It's not the 245, 50-pound guy that he's taken in, currently in this class. There's a little more with Lewis and that. You mean 21 with yes, Lewis? Yes, in a 21 class with some of those guys. I mean, I think there's a little bit of a size shift in terms of – it's almost like they've relaxed their weight parameter a little bit in what they want at linebacker. But they're not going out and recruiting a bunch of 180-pound, you know, safeties, 185-pound 180 safeties that they're going to play 205 pounds at linebacker like they did with Westmoreland, you know, Ryan Carl and guys like that you know, under John Chavis. But I do think when you look at this linebacker class, speed is a bigger factor than size is based on what you're seeing in the 21 class. It looks a little bit different than some previous linebacker stuff has looked. Yeah. But, in my opinion. I, I, these, these two guys do, but I think overall Jeremy likes bigger dudes than, than we saw with, with Chief. Well, no question. I mean, because – I mean, like, right. Henry he's a big dude. J.J. Peterson is a big dude. Kavaris Crouch – is a big dude. I mean, those guys, 
Pavaris in particular can run, but I think this the, the template and I, and again I think part of it is the three four. I mean he he wants bigger guys. Yeah, I think that, and and I think because of the three four that that's uh, certainly the case. All right, uh, Lanham thirteen. What is the most important stretch this season next year in order for people to consider it a successful season? Is it is it Oklahoma, Florida? Is it Alabama, Georgia? You know, of course, the, the schedule changes a little bit, but when you look at the schedule, what's the two or three weeks that's the most important, you think, for this team? Oh, I think it's Oklahoma, Florida. I was just going to say, I, I think you just can't take a step back. I mean, I don't think you have to beat Oklahoma or Florida. You can't lose to Vandy, South Carolina, Missouri, or Kentucky. Eight and four is fine. Seven and five is a, is a, is a step back. It's an interesting thought. I hadn't really looked at it that way because everybody sees it as, you know, which one of those big four are you going to win type deal. Uh, but is it more important to win one of those four or is it more important to establish yourself that you're closing in on those big four and you're not taking a step back losing to, you know, the South Carolina, South Carolina Missouri, Missouri, Vanderbilt deal. That's an interesting, you know, Kentucky, which you, is more you go, important. You go eight and four, that's a step forward, you know. I mean, gives you, you a chance to, gives yourself a chance to win nine games, in, you know, with, with a bowl game. I mean, I, I, I just think it's way more damaging to lose one of those, you know, South Carolina, Vandy, Kentucky, than it is to, to you know, I, there's nothing wrong with getting beat. But I mean, we're talking about team Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama, all been in the, in the, in the playoff in the last couple of years in Florida, you know, won 10 games back-to-back years. I don't think there's any shame in, in losing one of those four. All right, let's go to Go Vols 2019. Is Wilcoxon holding strong to his commitment? Um, he was one of the peer recruiting guys uh, so important for Tennessee. Notice he's removed some of his Tennessee stuff from social media. Would be a huge loss. Where's Tennessee with Kamar Wilcoxon right now? I, I think he's fine. Okay. I, you know, I mean, again, you, you can't base everything off Twitter. But, Did he pee his Twitter bio? What are you, what, what you going to do? You, you, everybody rides that wave. They ride the wave. And sometimes it ends up being right. Sometimes it doesn't. But, I mean, you ride the wave. Did you ride it back up to the top of the wave when he tweeted out on Thursday that, you know, Derek Ansley was his main man? You know, I mean, you know, again, if you watch Twitter, you'll, you'll sit there and drive yourself nuts. It's like it's almost like, you know, if you're, you know, looking for something on the Internet, you can see whatever you want to see. No, there's no doubt about that. Eight, always 24, back with another question. Jesse, if the staff decided it wanted to take Trey Curry's commitment, would he even want to do that now? Um, or does, does, you know, does he still want to be involved? Is there hard feelings there because Tennessee didn't take his commitment when he tried to go public? I, I mean, obviously the way the situation was handled uh, was, or I, I guess just to say that, that, that to kind of have that public embarrassment um, was not the best, but Ultimately, these guys, you know, they're looking for the best spot for them, just like Tennessee's looking for the best players for them. And if that becomes a marriage down the line, I absolutely could see Trey Curry saying, you know, yes to being a Vol. Um, part of his big re- – I mean, he wants – you know, he he's, has admitted that, you know, the idea of playing close to home is, is very uh, intriguing to him. So, if, if these things come together, I, I don't think that he's – going to turn up his nose because he he wasn't allowed to commit again if it had been handled a little bit differently perhaps no one would have been on on the watch so all right Peyton for Prez top Tennessee high school football players you've seen in person 
regardless of if they played college football or where they played their college football, top player, top couple guys you've seen in person. I'll say this, Rob, I think you and I went together. We went and watched Patrick Turner play um, in, in Nashville. And that was about as, and no offense to Patrick Turner, but that was about as underwhelming of a five-star performance on a Friday night as I've seen. They, could, they, didn't, they didn't get him to football. Austin Rogers was the better player that night, which was kind of crazy. But anyway, that's a whole side note. Best high school football player in the state of Tennessee uh, you guys have seen? I got, I got two easy, easy, really. I mean, I, and uh, Jason Witten, just phenomenal. Uh, playing middle linebacker, wearing number one. <laughs> I'll never forget that. And uh, very up close and, and personal interactions with James Littleman Stewart. He was a pretty good player. <laughs> Did he run you over? I don't know that he actually ran me over. He definitely ran by me several times. <laughs> um, what's, what, those two I watched in person, both really good. I thought Harrison Smith was really, really good in person at Catholic. You know, those battles that they had at Fulton with Dennis Rogan uh, were, were some of the best games um, at that level um, that, that I've watched. But he was really, really good and just uh, and really good at making the tough stuff look easy. T. Higgins did much of the same, but, you know, he didn't have a ton around him at Oak Ridge at the time. Um, you know, and then, you know, I don't know, flip it to the West. I've not watched as much in person in West yeah, same, same here. I mean, I've seen some state championship games, but not, you know, don't don't have as much. I mean, we're missing some great players from from, from out that way. Oh, I'm, Todd Collins, Jefferson County, back in the day, was uh, – I'll tell you this: the the Friday night, the Friday night, Jerry Colquitt and Todd Helton went at it in in Oak Ridge with Central and Oak Ridge, uh, with Sean Summers on the field and and Big Richard Howard out on the field. That that was that was pretty good football going on that night as well. Todd Helton, was, I, I saw Todd Helton and um, Central play Morristown West in the playoffs back, I guess, in the early nineties. It's a little man and, and and Helton going at it. that was a great game. And Kippy Bayless was a really good high school player yeah. running back at Central. Hubs, you not Hubs, you not go drop a Kenny Chesney reference on that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm not. We've all seen the footage of him at senior night, but that's about the only footage anybody's <laughs> seen of him. <laughs> in so he played at Gibbs. Hubbard, you know when, when he showed when, when he played at Gibbs, but would he show up wearing like different Knox County High School jerseys <laughs> during, during the week? That's terrible. All right, let's go to Peyton for press. He's got one more. Crompton <laughs> so seemed good, bitter. <laughs> Crompton seemed bitter on the podcast this week. Was that targeted at Clawson or Fulmer? I would say yes, yes, and add Cutcliffe into that mix um, would be my answer to that question there. And also, Clawson's frosted tips from the GQ from way back I, in the day. I don't, I don't think that. I don't think those. I don't think that was a good marriage there for those couple of years. And the final question from Barry the Vol. Is there a set date when a decision needs to be made for whether fans will be in the stands for the home opener Saturday, September the 5th? I don't think there's a set date, but, I mean, I think that there are kind of target dates in mind internally that they want to, you know, it's kind of like Hudson Wolf. Hudson, I'm like, you know, and talking to Hudson Wolf, this date, this third date, the 13th, he goes, that's not the date I'm announcing. That's just the date internally I wanted to have it done by. So I think much like the same, you know, thing here, I think internally they want to have some semblance of an idea, you know, much like, you know, local superintendents want have a, have a target date in mind on when they're going to announce whether they're going to try to do face-to-face interactions at school this fall. I think you got to get somewhere by August 1. I, I think you got to have a pretty concrete plan uh, August 1 because it's going to be difficult to execute if it's not a, 
a full capacity availability crowd because everybody's wanting to know, do I, you know, my season ticket, I'm a student, you know, all of those types of things. I think you're going to have to get to somewhere to say, hey, this is our plan. They have multiple plans, but I think you're going to have to unveil whatever your plan is uh, by the 1st of August because that's going to give you a month to get everything together and to deal with the gnashing of teeth of, of people who are going to be left out. And think about things, I mean, like, like you're going to be ordering, like you're going to be stocking concession stands. I mean, you got I mean, that's stuff that, I mean, you're going to stock it for 30,000 people or 102,000 people. I mean, that's, that's why will I, you, right, right? I think. Will you stock it at all? Yeah. I think they'll stock it. I mean, what do you think, Jesse? August 1 at the latest? Yeah, because, I mean, the other thing we haven't mentioned is then they got to figure out the re- the thing that – what about tailgating? You know, how do you handle about – all right, X amount of people are in the stands, but how do you handle – you may have another 50,000 people that just want to come hang out outside of Neyland. <laughs> and how do you handle that? And, and And is there a way that Tennessee thinks they can make some money off that Put some screen. Put some screens up. Uh, screens up. Are you selling some? I don't know. I mean, these are conversations that are being had all across college football, but especially you know in the South in the in the Big Twelve, where it seems like they're going to play, you know, as as designed. Yeah. And again, Georgia had some. I guess Georgia leaked out or released some documents. Just it was like a fifty-page document on various potential thoughts and plans out there as well. Everybody's doing the same. I do think you'll have to get somewhere in another month, month and a half, so that everybody has an idea of what to do from a worker standpoint, fan standpoint, and everything else. Hey, if you're in East Tennessee and you need a reliable heating and air system company, a heating and air company to come fix any problems you have, your maintenance service, whatever, you need my friends at Blue Water Climate Control, veteran-owned, family-operated. They're going to send out uh, an expert to take a look at your system, not a sales guy, but the expert's going to come out and tell you what you need. Uh, whether that's a major repair, a simple repair, whatever you need to make your home more comfortable uh, with heating and, and air conditioning in the summer, heating in the winter. They're going to lay out all the options for you. That includes uh, repairing the system or replacing it, whatever is most affordable for you to improve your energy efficiency and your indoor air quality. They're going to do it for you at Blue Water Climate Control. Give them a call at 865-299-2290. Or call them at Blue Water, or visit them at BlueWaterClimateControl.com to make an appointment. Blue Water Climate Control is an authorized dealer for American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning. For Jesse Simonton, Austin Price, and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubs. Thanks for joining us on this Friday for the uh, VolQuest.com Blue Water Climate Control Mailbag Podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody.